These are no doubt unprecedented and uncertain times. The COVID-19 pandemic and to a lesser extent, the September 2019 Hurricane Dorian Category 5 storm have caused severe health and financial uncertainties for individuals, companies, and the government of the Bahamas. The nation's public finances took a nosedive, and the level of unpredictability continues and is expected to persist in the short to medium terms. In this Budget 2021 podcast, our team at CFAL aims to address some key issues on the Bahamian economy and the government's revenue and spending plans as outlined by the Minister of Finance. Hello, I am Pamela Ferguson, and I will be hosting this episode of the CFAL Talks podcast. Joining me in studio are Anthony Ferguson, President of CFAL, Lachelle White, Investments Manager, and Angelo Butler, Senior Investment Analyst. We will cross-examine Bahamas Budget Communication 2021 presented by the Minister of Finance and Prime Minister, Dr. Hubert Minnis, and give our thoughts on the state of the Bahamian economy and what is needed for economic development and growth. Let's get right into the discussion. How did the, Baham- the Bahamian economy perform in 2020? Well, due to the pandemic, the economy performed very poorly. Um, We had shutdowns, so that basically brought economic activity to a standstill. But this wasn't unique um, to the Bahamas. This happened around the globe. But I think um, prior to um, Dorian, prior to the pandemic, we had been, you know, performing in a sort of lackluster way. So we didn't really have that much of a cushion. for the poor performance last year. But again, it was understandable and it was due, we had like the worst pandemic in a century. So, and other countries um, uh, um, saw the same things too. It's just, it's gonna be how we respond to growing the economy post pandemic and getting the economy out of this hole that we are currently in. I think you would see you know, numbers anywhere from negative 10 to negative um, 20% in terms of of a um, contraction in the economy. I, I think it's expected. It, it could be even larger if, you know, 50% of your GDP is shut down for anywhere from six to nine months. Just, you expect a drastic fall off. And so I think, you know, the government has provided some support and that has eased, you know, how it may feel on the ground. I'm, sure there are persons who are um, struggling during this, but the government did maintain its spending, increase spending a bit to try and ease the burden or provide some support. But nonetheless, you know, anywhere from 20 to 25% of, of GDP, I think, um, was lost during the past year. Um, again, right, uh, we blame it on uh, COVID, but as I said, um, when you take Abaco and Grand Bahama, uh, we knocked off uh, nearly a... Uh, I guess on average 10 plus percent of our GDP. And then when you then compound it with COVID. So we're, we're down to what's real. Um, if you recall, um, we have a magically, mysteriously adjusted our GDP up uh, twice in the last uh, many years. And, and, and so I, I think um, the, where we at uh, from a GDP standpoint is probably more reflective of, of, of the economy and, and where and, and how things are going. Like you mentioned, Angelo, we contracted by almost 15% um, in terms of our growth rate, and we have racked up borrowing 
um, to the tune of uh, about 90 plus percent of 2020 GDP, which is $9.9 .9 billion. So we are in a state as a result of the pandemic. But like you said, Anthony, this is something that has been going on for some time. And I guess the, the, the pandemic just highlighted um, the level of, see, this of is the problem, right? fiscal irresponsibility. Yeah, but this is the whole problem. Again, you know, what's the purpose of GDP? GDP is a measurement tool that allows you to compare one country to another. However, given our makeup, GDP is not reflective of how people are hurting or in this community. So for instance, our GDP per capita is around 33,000 thereabouts. Our average salary is about 12,000. So that's almost a three to one gap. So when we say our GDP is 12 billion, et cetera, et cetera, to me it means absolutely nothing because over 55% of our employed people are making under $20,000 a year. So it's not reflective. And so um, we are then, think we're first world. We then have very um, challenging times accessing funds that we badly need because they say, oh, your GDP per capita is $33,000. So why do we need to give you anything? And, and so, but we like to beat on our chest to say, oh, we're the second highest GDP in the Caribbean. But the people uh, on the street and the family islands are hurting and they're not enjoying, quote unquote, that GDP. So we should be very, very mindful of that and understand and appreciate what it means. I agree. In absolute terms, yeah, I agree with that. But what they tend to do to compare countries across regions is use relative terms. Like, so for instance, debt to GDP. And whatever that ratio is, you can compare uh, some one country debt to GDP with another country's debt um, to GDP to, to see how leveraged they, they are as a country. So I agree with you in absolute terms because a country that has $2 billion in debt and if you compare that to a country that has $10 billion in debt, it's not necessary that the country that has $10 billion in debt is more indebted than the country that has two. But when you look in relative terms, you put that debt to GDP, it may very well be that the country that has $2 billion in debt is more indebted than the country that has $10 billion in debt. So I, I, take, I take your point on that. So in reviewing the recently released nine-month fiscal report, what is the outlook for the government's public finances? Well, in my head, it, it's a bit bleak, but based on you know the, the budget statement as well as the nine-month outlook, I, I think they're saying different because you know I you know I, I have I have a challenge understanding how the government um, will be able to finance um, this deficit, all of this borrowing, especially to get you to the point where you're going to increase expenditure. Um, during the upcoming year. You know, I, I would have thought you would have at least tried to keep that in line. Um, and so I can only say they're saying something different than I am saying um, as an outsider looking in. But in my they opinion, see elections. I, I, uh, <laughs> that's what, that's what, that is different because we don't know. <laughs> yeah, so in, in my opinion, I, I wonder just, you know, even at this point how they're paying all the bills, but clearly they know something we don't, so. Yeah, they have um, some sort of, I don't know, magic wand um, because the revenues are depressed because of the shutdowns last year. 
and expenditures are on pace and have even increased and they continue to have to provide support to the state-owned enterprises. So yeah, you do wonder where is this money coming from? But I guess we'll see. I mean, they're just borrowing and borrowing. So I guess that's where they're getting it from. But this is, it's scary. You don't, you're not sure um, what's happening. And you, but you just know that it's, it's unsustainable. I mean, the, the, look, I, I think this is where, with the greatest respect, the lack of capital finance experience in government has done us a disservice. Um, everyone believes that because you quote unquote a government, you can access money easily. I can give you histories in Latin America, the Middle East, going back to the Greek days, where you reach that point where investors are just not prepared to continue to lend you money anymore. I think we're getting very, very, very close to that point, and you will see our costs of capital increasing, or you will see our debt um, be on the short or the front end of the curve, uh, meaning it's like one to five years. But the, the reality is um, they believe they can simply raise taxes and then they will have sufficient funding to um, um, service this debt. And, and I, I submit to you that most lenders in the international community who are lending us US dollars uh, at that cap uh, in terms of their allocation to the Caribbean and in particular to the Bahamas. Yeah, um, we saw evidence of that last year. I think the rate that we were was like 8.95%. Yes. And it was for nine years, so um, less than 10 years. So basically the medium term and a very, very um, high rate. I mean, we are rated junk, so that's I, understandable. I would say too, you know, um, last year, I, you know, was speaking with some friends about the government's debt issuance and they was like, oh, this is a terrible idea. And I'm like, you know, it's the height of the pandemic. You're lending to a country that's tourism dependent when tourism is shut down. I, I say this is a, a deal compared to what they may get <laughs> when they go back to the market next year. Because, you know, if you thought the Bahamas' debt was approaching um, a level of being unsustainable prior to the pandemic, what do you think now? You know, so how do you go back now to the market again for another $900 million? I think would rate? Um, government officials tend to think that if you want to increase taxes, and, and a lot of them look at increasing taxes in order to deal with the deficit issue. If you, if you want to increase taxes, all you have to do is to increase the tax rate. But I think it's more comp complicated um, than that because high level of borrowing lead to high tax um, level lead to low growth, low wage, you know, low living st living standard and level of prosperity for for the citizenry. So, um, the the key in for us to get out of this will have to be economic growth, and we will have to see public infrastructure spending targeted in special areas that will yield that growth for the future. That is not seen in the budget. I don't hear them talking about that. And so barring any significant recovery or significant increases in taxes, I think these debt levels are going to be with us for some time um, to come. But let's address that, right, just because you mentioned it. Let's assume we, for whatever reason, this year reach the pre-pandemic level. 
we're still going to have a deficit of over $500 million. The pre-pandemic level was not impressive. <laughs> no, no. Actually, in 2018, it's been the highest in terms of many years, in terms of uh, tourism and economic activity. No, I mean in terms of our growth, our overall growth. No, no, but I'm just talking about from a revenue standpoint, right? Okay. So what I'm saying, if we reach th- that revenue threshold, which was the, la- the highest it's been in, you know, ever, given our spending, we're still going to be significantly in debt. And, and, and so, um, you know, our deficit, our debt, and our increase in expenditure is increasing faster than our increase in revenue, and that is just not sustainable. The highest revenue level that the government has reached was in the 2018-19... billion thereabouts. $2.4 billion. And remember, that was when they increased VAT on July 1st of 2018. That was a banner year. Prior to that, the highest revenue level was $2.04 or $7 billion. In 2019-2020, revenues went to $2.08 billion. That was a banner year for tourism. We had 7.2 million tourists that came to our shores. 1.5, the highest in stopover. So if that's a banner year in terms of tourism, and that's the highest in revenue outside of when we increased VAT, yet our deficit was 780-something million dollars, it is telling me that we have a serious growth problem. And so what if we get 7 million tourists again for this year? We're, not, we're, we're gonna get about 2 billion, little over $2 billion. Well, according to the projections, um, we should be having revenues of $2.8 billion by 2023, 2024, which is... Like a, a white piece of paper, <laughs> you can write anything on it. And that's exactly what they did. I, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. It, seemed, it just seems as if, like, who's calculating these numbers? Because if you just had your, like you said, it was a banner year for mm-hmm. us and we got um, record high revenues. How do you now um, say, like, in within three years, we're going to get back to that again when you have not outlined any sort of significant plan for growth? Yeah, see, and I think that's it. I See, we, we're talking, I know there's a lot of talk about the tourists are coming, the tourists are coming. And yes, I think it's good for government for the perspective that they get some foreign currencies and with which to pay these high interest um, 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 bills and also to fund our imports. But in terms of economic growth, no. That was a banner year and our revenues were still capped at $2.08 billion. And And spending didn't increase much. If spending only increased for that year of about $100 million. So it wasn't as if um, you could say, well, okay, we had Hurricane Dorian, so we spent a lot of money. We had um, the the beginning of the pandemic, so we spent a lot of money. No, spending didn't increase much, but the revenues were stalled, and that was because the lack of economic growth. So there's a point to which, in, in increasing taxes, you have diminishing return. And I think we are at that in terms of, of taxes. So what plans has the Ministry of Finance announced to support the recovery? Um, I think that they basically um, announced plans to increase, increase jobs, to improve um, tourism offerings, um, to continue with the 
digitization of the government services. But again, you know, they announce these plans, but you don't really see any um, significant detail to determine how they are going to achieve these goals. And then what is they they never do like a 10 or five, 10 year like this is where we're going to be in five years. This is where we're going to be in 10 years. So you kind of have to take it at face value. And again, I do not understand how you can say that you want to improve um, employment and you want to improve the jobs market when you have no official statistics on unemployment for the past, was that 18 months? It's it's mind boggling to me. I mean, I think that these things should be, should be data driven and not just um, based on assumptions. And I, I saw where they, you know, mentioned um, some of the measures they used during the pandemic to, you know, help the economy in terms of um, providing tax credits. They're now, um, you know, providing the employment credit where if you hire 10 people, up to 10 people, they'll provide you with um, a VAT credit. You know, the small business development is always touted as part of the growth plan. There's the, you know, home or the service lot um, program to try and, you know, um, speed up construction. But, you know, you always have to remember that anywhere from 70 to 80% of the budget is just out of their control in, in the aspect that it's just to pay salaries, pay debt, pay interest. So the government does, as it currently stands with its current structure, you know, they don't have a lot of room and flexibility to really at any point um, drive the economy and until they kind of get out of the way, um, you know, reduce recurrent expenditure, focus more on capital expenditure, we'll continue to probably see lackluster um, economic growth levels. I, I have a challenge with the jobs program, and I know successive administrations have used that. Um, in the short term, it may look as if it's working because then more people um, are employed and then they would use that to say the unemployment rate would go down. But it's just an expenditure. And I liken it to a room with a lot of dollar bills on the ground and fan, a fan to the bottom, blowing it up. And it just keeps circulating. They're circulating. The door needs to open and some new monies need to come in. So all that represents an expenditure. And with this incentive program, we've had it before. They had um, different versions of it. What tends to happen would be employers will maybe take a few persons. I think they are projecting that they are going to have, um, it's a 10, the employment incentive program, you have 10 um, employees, and they think that 250 businesses will participate. So that's 2,500 persons they feel would be employed, and they have allocated $40 million for that. So I work on average about $300 per person. And what tends to happen is after the, the 52 weeks uh, of it, persons are let go and, you know, persons um, remain unemployed and very few of those persons uh, are retained um, on the job. It's just a way to support um, um, the government in its, in its unemployment venture. But I, I, I go back to the fact that we need more um, public investment infrastructure spending in order to drive growth. And if the government would do more of that, then you could hire these persons on those projects to help with, with, with the growth and also give those persons um, a level of employment as opposed to these jobs programs that they continue to do that don't add any benefit at the end of the day um, um, to, the, to the country. But I mean, again, right, when you look at the budget, it's, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's not even laughable. We have to find another word, right? Because on the one hand, they are suggesting that 
those companies on average pay over a hundred, uh, nearly 200,000 a year in fat, right? But when you look on the revenue side, you did not see them reduce VAT by the equivalent amount. It's not free lunch. So again, you know, it's, it's, it's some, you know, one came up with what was supposed to be a clever idea and did not take into account all the associated costs with such initiation by the government. And it's just, it's just not going to work. I mean, on top of that, what the pandemic has done, it has shown us that we can work quite effectively with much less people. So no one is going to then beef up their staff count just because, you know, they are altruistic because the Red Cross is on JFK, you know? Yeah, I thought about that. And going back to what Pam says, you have, you're not doing any sort of capital expenditure. So where... What economic activity is going to incentivize a business owner to take on um, more uh, more persons to um, participate in this program? You have you have to try and generate the economic activity to justify the hiring of additional persons. The level of debt is mounting. It currently stands at about nine point eight billion dollars, with a twenty twenty nominal GDP of nine point nine oh seven billion dollars. Do you think now is the right time to tackle the country's overburdening debt problem? Five years ago, ten years ago, <laughs> was the right time to do it. I mean, we are at this point now. We have to seriously think about it, um, and we have to seriously measure um, any sort of additional borrowing. You just um, always hear they come up in the House of Assembly and they're like, oh, we just got $100 million from the World Bank. And it's like, okay. So it's just, I don't think that there is any sort of plan um, to reduce or, or stem borrowing. I didn't see anything in the budget that alluded to it. But I think that we have to, even if we cannot seriously reduce the debt now, we do have to come into discussion on it to at least have a plan um, for reducing this debt. We cannot go any, I mean, we are nearly 10 billion. We, we can't go much more over that. I just, I mean, I don't think it's going to be helpful to our economy in any event because of the interest costs. But we have to seriously have the open discussions and we have to be honest with ourselves and say, look, this is really bad. And they have to put in measures in place to um, reduce it. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, it, it, it's past time to begin discussion. I think you need to speak to the, the government, needs to speak to the major holders um, of its debt, see what, you know, their appetite would be for, um, because I think in any event, most of the debt will have to be um, restructured, you know, have a discussion to find the best way to do it, where, you know, in essence, everyone wins, um, you know, whether that be, extending maturities of as we've seen in some other um caribbean countries um you know also putting in some provisions i saw where um when barbados restructured their u.s dollar debt they put in a hurricane provision that says you know if hurricane of a certain capacity comes and, and impacts the government it provides them with a two-year grace period on um you know repaying um matured principles that matured proceeds that are due and so, you know, start off those discussions. Um, don't wait until it gets to a point where it's desperate and we're defaulting and, you know, because there are drastic consequences for those things. Uh, on the, See, the, the challenge with that, um, Angelo, is this. 
we don't have that many, like I said earlier, we have the first U.S. debt maturing in 2024. Otherwise, they, um, they're like 10, 15 years. So there's nothing to, to, to adjust there, right? So um, that's good when you have a lot of maturing debts behind one another. Um, and on the Bahamian ones, they just keep rolling it. But I think even on the Bahamian debt, you're going to see less and less appetite for, for persons taking it down. Even if they extend the maturity, they're going to have to increase the rate so much. It's still going to be the same net effect. I mean, we're seeing it now. Um, um, less and less persons want to take down government debt because they are concerned of, of the level of risk of our country, and that's on the, the bohemian side. But I don't think people are going to agree to the, agree to any type of restructuring unless they can see a tangible plan from government to address this problem. Because if we are racking up these deficits and debt because we are not improving or investing in our infrastructure and that's causing us not to grow and then you want to restructure my debt and you continue on that path i we're not solving a problem we're just digging ourselves deeper into the hole so i don't think you're going to get um a lot of appetite for any type of restructuring i think what you would get if you, when you start talking like that andrew is a stampede of persons wanting to sell <laughs> government well, debt right now well, because they are concerned well going back to um Barbados, I, you know, when you look at the U.S. dollar side, they, you know, in, in essence, they got to a point, I guess, where it was like, we just can't pay this. And <laughs> so something going to happen. And I think they cut their bonds anywhere from 30 to 40 percent. And, you know, that I, I don't know how they got to that number, but they got there. And then I think on the Bahamian side, um, the Bayesian side. side, sorry, they are forced, you know, they said if something is coming up matured, we're just going to reinvest it. And, you you know, you almost had no choice. And I saw where, like, the central bank and, and their national insurance took a big hit um, during those processes. And so, like I say, if, if you get ahead of it, um, it's good. But if, if you wait until you get to the point where I have to pay you interest in June and I don't have the money in May, then, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> we just don't pay it. So let's avoid getting to that point. But, but look, yeah, and I national agree. insurance don't have no money. You can't afford to take no hit. <laughs> I agree. We need to deal with this right now and not let it get to that point because it, it, will, be, it will definitely be dire. The government projected a $1.3 billion deficit during this current fiscal year, 2020-2021. And for the nine-month period from July 2020 to March to 2021, the deficit stood at $878.2 million and is expected to end um, at the $1.3 billion. How can the Minister of Finance plug the deficit hole? Or better yet, what strategies were articulated in the Minister of Finance address to close the government's growing deficit? Um, I didn't see anything um, that jumped out of me in particular about um, reducing the debt. They talk about managing um, managing the debt and about fiscal responsibility. But in short, I think that we have to identify and cut non-productive spending, like spending where you are basically getting no return. So I, but I don't, I don't think that, as you said before, they are not really seriously looking at um, these numbers. Everything is just basically looking onto the surface of it. But we have to find some way to cut spending where it is not needed. And investments, 
I think, I think we have to learn to walk and chew gum at the same time. We must invest in the infrastructure that is needed for private sector growth. There's no way around that. I don't know if it's cultural, but we have from, for years now, we have not invested in the infrastructure. And we continue to, when we get in a jam, we remove monies from, from the capital expenditure column and put it up into the re uh, exp recurrent expenditure column, thinking that we can grow the economy, and we have not, and we will not. We need to uh, allocate about three percent of our budget to public public infrastructure spending, and go out there and look at those areas. You have healthcare, you have education, you have transportation, you have energy reform, um, you have bandwidth and, and telecommunication. All of these are areas with which we need to invest in so that public sector can build on that and grow this, help to grow the economy. And, and to your point, right, I, I think in the budget, it seems just about every department got an increase, right? And I think for the government has to look at it now and say, I mean, everything is not about profit and money, but it's like, okay, this dollar is going to cost me 8.25 or 9%. Is what I'm getting back from this more than this to pay this off? Otherwise, it's just a net negative. And, you know, in terms of social services, healthcare, you, you don't look at it and that. But holistically, I think you have to look at it as this cost me 9%. Can I earn this back? Otherwise, you, you just drag yourself deep into it. Look here, uh, Angelo. When power and retaining power is more important than country, this is what you get in a budget. And that's all it is. The political electorate are more concerned about being re-elected than doing the right thing four and a half of the Bahamian people. And that's all. And your daughter... She will be paying for this for years to come. Well, we have concluded part two of this two-part series titled Bahamas Budget 2020-21. Thank you, panelists, for your participation and audience for listening in. If you wish to reach out to us here at CFAL, please give us a call at 502-7010 or send us a message via our website at www.cfal.com. Thank you. <laughs>